Yeah, I read the Bible on when you put it up on the screen on Sunday morning. Or there's a little, there's a little scripture or verse on somebody's email page or whatever. But more than likely, people are not just reading it on the screen, but you are at times pulling out the Bible on your iPhone, your computer, um, Bibles that you have at your house or in your backpack or in your car, scripture cards that you're looking at. I, I believe that many in this room read, think about, study, memorize the Word of God, but oftentimes that response tells it all. Uh, well, mm, mm. okay, not really, not very often. And sometimes if we get into the conversation, the line comes up, I really don't have time for that. I mean, it's can't, or, or maybe it's said in a better way. I, I, I just find it hard to find time to read the Bible. And so then if, if that's spoken, we'll talk about ways which we can kind of get the word of God into us while we're about our business, you know, downloading it on our iPhone, playing it in the car when we're driving or when we're working out or whatever. I try to encourage people to read and to listen to the word of God. But when we talk about time, it is an interesting excuse, isn't it? There was a study from the University of California in San Diego in 2008. We were looking at these stats this morning, and I was like, wow, that's 11 years old. And when, we act, when you look at this picture here in a second, you're going to realize that the data, even from 2008, is very different than probably what it is today. I don't think it's decreased, but probably the pies have changed. But this 2008 study said or found that a, a, an average person in America ingest or comes across 100,000 words a day. For those of you older in the room, that's like a fourth of war and peace a day. You know, it's a lot of information, or to put it into computer terms, it's 34 gigabytes of information. 34 gigabytes of information is happening, and it's happening through this process. And again, this is 11 years ago. It's all turned upside down, but just 11 years ago, it was... 44% TV, it's probably now almost all computer or iPhone or or your your cell phone where a lot of this information, probably not as much radio, you know, but look at all the different ways in which we ingest or we take in, you know, I'm sure that Netflix has increased that movie percentage to go up in our lives. We probably listen to less radio and listen to more Spotify, but no matter how we shift those pie, that pie chart, I would doubt that we've decreased our 100,000 words today. I would imagine that we've increased our 100,000. We don't have to even even have the study to know it, right? You're walking down the street, and there's a whole group of friends that are walking down the street, you know, and they're they're hanging out together. Hey, let's go hang out together. I'd love to do that. Let's go hang out together. They're all like walking in like a robotic group as they're on their phones. You've got people on bikes, scooters, skateboards with a phone out in front of them because God forbid we'd miss the next Instagram post. You know, we might miss somebody's new information. They might've updated their status and I've got to like it or love it. You know, it's like, it's, we get information. I'm always astounded at when I get on Facebook or Instagram or one of those, um, those places, how much my friend's have time to comment on the comments of the repost of the comments of the pictures that were commented on and loved and liked that bounce out of my phone. I'm like, get a life. And then they'll tweet me back, this is my life. This is, not tweet, I'm sorry, you don't tweet back. 
um, but they'll, they'll text me back. This is my life. We get information. We have time for information. It's just what information are we valuing? I am not advocating this morning that you turn off your iPhones, but it might be a good idea to do it a little bit more often. I'm not advocating that you stop watching Netflix or whatever, although it might be healthy for you to take a diet, get on a diet of some of these things. But I am going to advocate this morning that if you have the capacity to like, love, and ingest so much information, wouldn't it be worth it that you ingest information that is not dead, lifeless, and probably makes you very anxious and comparing and left out and all the other things that happen in this, in this world? And you ingest something that's actually going to give you life, that's going to build you up and not tear you down. And so I had a thought. What if I woke up this morning, and I don't know about you guys, but I set my iPhone beside my bed at night. I have a sleep app, and the sleep app can play noise if I want it to play noise, but I don't do that. But it does have a sleep alarm on it that wakes me up at just the right time when I'm ready to get up, you know, within a 30-minute window of when I want to wake up because it's reading the biorhythms. Never mind about that. And it wakes me up. And if, what if this morning, instead of waking up and just pushing pause, when I picked it up, I looked at it, and as I was turning off the sleep alarm, it wasn't a sleep alarm, but Jesus was right there. Hey, good morning, Sean. Whoa, who are you? It's Jesus. Just looking forward to being with you this morning. Hey, Jesus, you're in my phone. No, I'm not in your phone. I'm in your life. You're in my life. Yeah, I'm just showing you myself in the phone, but I'm really in your life. Wow, that's awesome, Jesus. He said, yeah, you know what? What I want you to do today is I want you to carry around this phone, and I want to talk to you today. I want you to, every time you pick up the phone, I want you to look, and I want you to look at me. As a matter of fact, Sean, I've got an incredibly new device for you. It's called Google Glasses. I want you to put on those Google Glasses, and right in the left-hand corner is going to be my face all day long. You're going to be able to see me. I'm going to be smiling. I'm going to be talking to you. I'm going to be interacting with your life. Wow, that's really cool, Jesus. Yeah, you are good looking. Yeah, and not only can you see me in the right-left corner, but through these glasses... It's amazing. When you look through these glasses, you're going to see the world the way that I see the world. You're going to look at the world a little bit differently maybe than you've been looking because I know what you think about because I know your thoughts and your actions. You're going to see the way that I want you to see. You're going to look around to the left or the right. You're going to see people and all of a sudden you're going to feel what I feel. You might have compassion for something that you don't have, someone that you don't have compassion for today. I want you to put on these glasses. As a matter of fact, I don't want you just to see, but could you pull out those, those wireless headphones that you have? Yes, sir. Yes, I can. Put those in. All right. I want you to put those in. I tried this this morning. I can't hear you. I can't talk when I put them in. And I'm going to not only let you see, but I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to be in your ear and in your mind 24-7. That would be super cool, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be cool if we had iPods from heaven? If we had an iPhone, Jesus iPhone, you know? We could download the app 24-7, Jesus staring us in the face. Wouldn't it be cool if we could have those Holy Spirit-filled glasses that actually allowed us to see and to understand how God sees and understands the world? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be cool sometime in the future if they were able to develop that? Well, guess what? It's already developed. We already have it. We already have Google Glasses and 
Jesus iPods and iPhones. We have it via the Holy Spirit and his word. We already have the ability through his word to see and understand how Jesus would see and understand the world. We already have through his spirit and through the word the ability to hear and to, and to discern his voice and for him to be able to speak to us in real-time situations and give us instructions about life. We have it through his life and through his communication is through the word of God. I want you to come alive today and believe that this book is not some antiquated, dust-filled piece of literature or unopened app on your iPhone. I want you to believe that this is the living word of God that's breathing and active and useful for your life. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is living and is active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to dividing among soul and spirit, joint and marrow. That's amazing in itself, isn't it? The, the actual vitality of the word of God. The scripture says that it's physical, it's emotional, it's mental. It affects every part of our life. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of God. This is the word and this is the living word. Jesus said in John 6, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing and the very words I have spoken to you our spirit in life. The very words of Jesus that he spoke are like spirit in life. So when we read the word of God, I believe it's like FaceTiming with Jesus every day. Can you see it? Can you believe it? Everybody pull up your Bible or your iPhone and just say, hey, it's good to see you this morning, Jesus. You didn't do it. I'm gonna make you do it later. Psalm 119, 105, the word is a lamp unto my feet, or our feet, a light unto our path. The word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our pathway. There are a group of people called the Waldensians. They were early church reformers. And sometimes they traveled about as merchants and dealt in jewels and precious stones as a way of obtaining access to families of nobility. And when they had disposed of their rings and trinkets and were asked if they had anything more to see, they answered, yeah, we have jewels still more precious than any of you, than any of you have seen. And we'll be glad to show you, show you these also if you will promise not to betray us. We have here a precious stone so brilliant that by its light a man may see God and another which radiates such a fire that it enkindles the love of God in the heart of its possessor. Then unwrapping their bundle, they brought out a Bible. It is indeed the most precious of all precious stones, for by its light a man sees God. That is the reason and the only reason for reading the Bible. That is why it is profitable and necessary every day to read the sacred page. This was written, this was quoted and written by Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew, during the days of the Cold War and during communism, 
risked his life and the group of people that walked with him risked their lives to smuggle Bibles into communist Russia and East Germany in places that did not, did not allow the Bible to be distributed. Why? Because they believed, the Waldensians believed, the men and women of God throughout history believed that the word of God was the very life source of God himself, that he brought, it brought the words of life, the words of God to us. The Bible is God's love letter to us from Genesis to Revelation. The word of God reveals who God is and reveals who Jesus is, the savior of all mankind. Every book is fashion and form to point us in the direction of God's love for us, his design for our life and his purpose that we would be saved and set free from our sin and restored to him. The Bible is the pathway that we find about, find out about who God is and who Jesus is. So we must devote ourselves to learning it and to receiving it into our lives. We can trust the word of God. We can trust it. And that's what we've been talking about. If you've been here the last two or three weeks, we didn't talk about this last week, but Clark Zombrecker and Danny Pierce the two weeks before talked about the trustworthiness of this Bible, the way that God speaks to us, how we should love it and live for it. It's the foundation upon which our lives are built. Second Timothy 4 says, uh, for there is a time, verse 3, that will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, those things that are taught in the word of God. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. How do people turn away towards myths and things that are not reliable, true, and of God? It's when they, they abandon the word of God. When they stop reading it, when they stop preaching it and teaching it, which is what Paul admonishes Timothy to do, when they start, stop talking about the word of God and not just um, talking about the blessings or the encouragements of God, but the warnings of God, the convicting truths of God that set us straight, that plumb us to what is reality and what is true. When we lose the mooring of the word of God, we lose perspective on who God is. You can't say to me, I don't read the Bible, I don't study the word of God, I don't listen to the word of God, and then also tell me I have a vibrant, deep relationship with Jesus. They don't happen. They're not, they're not, you can't separate the two. But show me somebody who has hidden the word of God in their heart, that studies the word of God, that reveres the word of God, that loves the word of God, that is not ashamed of who God is in the word of God, that's not ashamed of the teachings of the word of God. And you will show me and I will find a person who is deep in devotion, in love with Jesus. It's not enough for us to wave our hands in worship and sing wholeheartedly on Sunday mornings in song. If we're not given to the word of God that inspired those songs, and to obey what the word of God says. I want you to know that the word of God is reliable. It's trustworthy. We can trust it. And, I, and we've talked about this, but I'm just going to go back just real quickly because I want to, just to make sure. But the Old Testament, the first um, uh, 36 books of the Bible, uh, 39 books of the Bible, I, meant, I said that wrong earlier, um, are written as as inspired by God, testimonies of God's working among his people Israel, uh, the stories of God's uh, life with them and their response to him, the prophetic voice of God spoken through prophets when the, the people of God were in rebellion or not walking with God or when they needed to look forward to the future things that God had promised. All of these things are wrapped up in the Old Testament and conferred as being the very words of God 
uh, by the church or by the people of God in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments were written literally by the finger of God. It says in Exodus 31, when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. And by 435 BC, these 39 books had been written, told, communicated orally um, throughout generations, and they were agreed upon to be the canon, the very word of God for his people. Fast forward to Jesus' time, and there is no recorded dispute in Jesus' time that those weren't the words of God. And then when Jesus came, as the word of God, John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was, was God. Jesus himself, the living word, came. He brought in, us into the New Testament period, the new covenant of God's relationship with his people. And all the teachings of Jesus, along with the teachings of the apostles, those who had been with Jesus, their letters to the church, those teachings in those letters make up the New Testament. And the church after the New Testament, the church during the time of these letters, agreed that the letters of Paul, the teachings of Jesus, the letters of Peter, the leader, those, those teachings, Peter, John, and Paul, and Jesus that are in the, this New Testament and a couple of other authors, that they were the words of God. Listen to um, 1 Timothy 5.18, for the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out grain, and the worker deserves his wages. It says, for the scriptures say, and those two quotes, one is from Deuteronomy and one is from Luke 10. The scriptures, both Old and New Testament. That's how the New Testament church was describing it. Or here in Second Peter 3, Peter describes Paul's words as being scripture. He says he writes the same way in all his letters, talking about Paul, speaking in, the, in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. By 397 A.D., so some three, some close to 400 years after Jesus had died, was risen from the grave and ascended to heaven, all of the 27 books in the New Testament were confirmed by the church as being authoritative in the word of God. We trust God because his word is true. Now listen, we believe, we believe God by faith, right? So this is a step of faith. So when you say, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if the word, well, you have to take it by faith. You have to take it by the faith in the same way that you believe that God is real. But if you believe that God is real, if you believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God and that he died, rose again, and offers eternal life to you and is seated at the right hand of God, as the scriptures say, if you believe this about God, then you can believe that the Bible is true. Because God, if he is real, and I believe that he is, he would not leave us without a true and reliable communication of who he is for his people. He has preserved and protected. He's established, preserved, and protected his word for over 2,000 years. We need to live in it and believe that it is real. Amen? You can say amen on that. That's good. Proverbs 35, 30 verse 5. Every word of God proves to be true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Jesus said of his own words in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. His words have life. What does his word do, to, do for us? It helps us overcome temptation. Remember Jesus in the desert? The devil tempted him. Every time the devil tempted him, what did he say? The very first thing he said, it is written. It is written. 
And the first time he was tempted, he said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So if Jesus is quoting scripture to defeat Satan, don't you think we should quote scripture too? Don't you think we should have the word of God in us? If that's the power of life, in, we should know his word as well. We should know the character and the life and the truth of God so that when we are tested in trial, we can overcome. Amen. I'm getting excited up here. He helps us overcome temptation. We were in life group this week, and I asked May if I could share this. And May stuck around for the second service to make sure that I said it right the second service as well. Right, May? Um, I asked May if I could share this, but we were talking about life, and we were sharing some of our journeys and our stories. And May was sharing, for, for those of you who don't know, May's husband passed away almost a year ago today. It's not been, it's almost a year since he passed away. And if you've walked with May, you know that she's walked through great sorrow. She's walked through trial. It's been an adjustment. But from the day that her husband died, in the midst of that sorrow, there's been joy. There's been hope. She has proclaimed with her mouth and with her life that God is still alive and that her husband would want her to live fully for Jesus, even in his passing. But she was vulnerable at the life group on Friday night, and she said, you know, that there are times, though, I'm really sad. And there are times when I sit and I don't feel anything. She, says, it's, it, I, it, she said it's kind of like an, an aloneness or kind of an emptiness that I experience. And she said at those moments, the word of God is my pill. That's how she described it. I have to take my pill. The only thing that brings me out of this place of despair or this aloneness or this, this place that I don't want to be in is when I start listening to, reading, or quoting the word of God. So she said, I started to download the scripture and I put it in places where I, I could just play it and listen to it all the time. And it was the word of God. And correct me if I'm wrong, May, but this is your testimony. It was the word of God and is the word of God that brings you daily through those times of discouragement and encourages you and gives you faith. The word of God leads us out of temptation or sorrow and gives us life. It gives us direction. The word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our pathway. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do we renew our mind? We renew our mind in the scriptural context. We renew our mind through the word of God. We take that which is not of God, garbage, you've heard that old phrase, now it's a super old phrase, garbage out, garbage in, garbage out. We want to put truth in. We want to put good things in. We want to to clear our minds from the things that don't speak of or don't honor or don't reflect who God is, and we want to fill our minds with the things that are truth, and that would be the word of God. Thinking about the word dwelling and it changes the way that we think, the way that we live. Uh, the, the leader of our movement of churches, Jimmy Seibert, a good friend of mine, he talks about when he came to know the Lord. He came to know the Lord when he was um, uh, late high school, early college. I can't remember exactly the time, but when he, he found Jesus, his life was radically transformed. He had grown up in the church. He'd grown, grown up in a church, but they didn't preach the Bible. They told stories. They shared anecdotes. Uh, but the, he said, I never heard the word of God talked about much, and I definitely didn't hear about Jesus much, which is very interesting to me. But when he got saved, Jesus came alive, and the Bible came alive. He started reading the Bible. He was like, this is amazing. Why haven't I been reading this? And he said for one whole summer, he would just spend 
three to six hours a day just reading the Bible and just devouring it and, and allowing the word of God to, to soak into his being. And then one day he felt like the Lord says, don't just read it, but obey it. And so each day as he read, he said, asked the Lord one thing. He said, God, what's one thing today that you would have me obey? And he just began to orient his life around that truth of listening and obeying. And we are the benefits of, of his life, this, this, the, his life of faith that has allowed churches to be established and the word of God to go throughout the nations. Word came into his life with power and transformed him gave him life, and it does for you and me as well. It reveals right and wrong. We've already talked about that in Hebrews, as I quoted, that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. It preserves our life. Psalm 119, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. There's so many different ways in which the word of God changes us. So how do we respond? We respond by listening and obeying. And I think the, 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 the most clear passage of Scripture about that, there's many, is in James 1. Read with me here, James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in all he does. Listening, and I believe listening is reading, meditating, memorizing, studying the word of God, and then doing. Have you ever read the Bible? And as you're reading the Bible, you're like, ooh, yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable. Lord, I don't want to talk about that right now. Can we go to another chapter? And you, so you go to another chapter, and it's like he finds you there. It's like, oh, wait, wait. And every time you turn a page, it's like he, he finds me. Because the word of God is active. Have you ever read a passage of scripture like a hundred times and a hundred times you get something new out of it every time? It's like, where, where's this scripture been all my life? You know, it's like God speaks and he speaks conviction and he speaks direction. But his expectation is that we don't just hear it and stuff it in our brains, but that we would live it. The word is living. It's not just about living in us. It's living through us, living and active. And he wants us to live it out. So we meditate on his word, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is what? In the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What you put in affects you. What you put into your life affects you. You are what you eat, we say, right? You are what you think about. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy and excellent, think about these things. We now know there is actual breakthrough science, and I'm not one of those scientists, so if I get this wrong, if some of you know this better than I do, then please forgive me. But the basic thought is this, that, that we have discovered that there are neural pathways in our brain that can be retrained. And these neural pathways affect, how our, affect our bodies physically, affect our bodies emotionally, and 
there is science happening right now that is able to, to, dis, to, able to discern that these pathways in our brains are not permanent pathways, meaning they can be affected and impacted by how? By what we think and what we say. We've known that forever. We've, we've known that forever from Scripture. Scripture's taught us forever that we should think about the things of God, that we should speak and declare the things that are, of God that are true. And now science is catching up with the Bible. I love that. What are you thinking? What are you speaking? Charles Haddon says it this way, Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was a great preacher, he said, some people like to read so many Bible chapters every day. Now, I would not dissuade them from that practice, but I would rather let my soul soak in half a dozen verses all day that rinse my hand, then rinse my hand in several chapters. Oh, to be bathed in a text of scripture and to let it be sucked up into your very soul till it saturates your heart. You want me to read that again? Isn't that good words? I like that. Oh, to be bathed in a text of scripture and to let it be sucked up into your very soul till it saturates your heart. That's our, that's our iPhone app. 24-7 with Jesus, Google glasses, God's perspective, earbuds in our ears, hearing the Holy Spirit through the word of God transform us. Study it. Don't just meditate on it. Study it. I want to encourage you to figure out the themes of every passage of Scripture. Figure out the context, the cultural situation of the Scripture. Bring in your commentaries. Bring in all the great men and women of God who have studied Scripture and unearthed the Hebrew and the Greek and have, have, have brought our modern translations into light. You know that our translations are a result of these men and women who have studied deeply the Word of God in its context and culture and in its relation to our current society and have put it in words so that we can understand. That's what the Bible has, that's how we read it in the English. You know the Bible was not written in English. I just want you to know that. The scripture was not written in English. Someone had to take the Hebrew and the Greek and help us English-speaking people figure it out. And if you're, if you're Brazilian, Portuguese-speaking people, and if you're not, whatever language that you have the Bible in, in your native tongue, it was translated probably, because you're probably not, there's probably not a lot of Greeks in here or people who speak Hebrew. But it was translated for us so that we could understand. Study it in the same way. Let it, let it surprise you with its depth. I'm so fascinated by the word of God because I truly believe that God's given us the word. Okay, I need to hurry up here. God's given us the word so that it's so simple that a kid can understand it. And so deep and profound that the greatest minds of our time will never get to the bottom of it. That's the word of God. Eat it up. Memorize it. I want you to put that, I want, to put, I want you to put that up there for me. Everybody write that down. BibleMemory.com. This is, my, this is my Bible memory app. I love it. I'm promoting it. I promise I don't have stock in the company. I like it because you can download your scriptures in whatever translation. They've got lots of translations, the ones that you've memorized or that you like to read. And it will remind you when to, to, to recite them. It'll give you what percentage of the scripture that you want to get right in memorizing it. If, if you're competitive like me, it'll rank you among all the Bible memorizers in the world. And I've got a pretty high ranking. I just want you to know that. No, I'm just kidding. I really don't. Um, 
But I'd love for you to memorize the Word of God. Why do we memorize it? Because there's sometimes when we're in situations where we can't find our Bible or we can't sing, we just, we need the Word of God in us. I was sharing at our life group as we were talking through our life stories that I have probably recited internally and prayed through Philippians 4, 6, and 7 10,000 times in my life because I have a propensity to be anxious. I, have a, I, I can at times worry. It's, I come from a long line of worriers. My mom, you know, there's, there's just a lot, of, there's a lot of worrying in our family. I don't consider myself a worrier anymore because God has worked, has worked some of that out of me, but I, am, I have a weakness to be anxious. And so this scripture really encourages me, and I pray it with my, I personalize it. Sean, don't be anxious about this situation. This is Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Sean's version when he's in a trial. Sean, don't be anxious about this situation. But you know that if you pray to God, if you call out to God, you petition him, he's going to hear you. And as you're calling out, Sean, be thankful. Thank him for the things that have already happened in your life because it reminds you of, of his faithfulness to you when you've called out to him before. So start thanking him, Sean, and thank him ahead of time for how he's going to answer this prayer. Lord, you don't have to be, Sean, you don't have to be anxious because you can pray and you can petition and you can thank God and he is there and, and the scripture promises me in that word that peace, the peace not of this world, but the peace of God. that transcends all understanding will guard my heart and guard my mind in Christ Jesus. Lord, I call out to you. I give this situation to you. And I just say, God, that you have been good to me in the past. I believe you're going to be good to me in this situation. And I receive your peace. I receive your peace today. I receive the peace in this storm because I know that you are the one that guards my mind. You guard my heart and you lead my life in Jesus' name. I pray that all the time. Do you have scriptures that you have memorized for your situations that you pray. It's not enough for us simply to listen and learn and be a great student of the word. It's, it's how we respond to the word of God. Mark Twain says this, most people are bothered by those passages they don't understand, but the passages that bother me are those I do understand. The things that I know to be true that God is calling me to obey. Lord, would you help us? Okay. Let's, let's, let's practice this right now. How do we live in the light of God's word and pray it? We're going to read a passage of scripture this morning together. I just picked a specific passage of scripture mainly because at the end it has one of the passages that I wanted to highlight. And so I'm going to let God highlight it to you as we read it. But I want you to believe what I have preached that this word is living and active, that it is alive today, and that it has life for you. His life for your very existence today, and that the Spirit of God could speak to you about who He is in a fuller way. That He could speak to you about where you fit in the story, and He could speak to you possibly today about how you're called to obey. And what do, you, what do we know about obedience? When God speaks and calls us to obey, is it for our good or for our bad? It's for our good, it's always good. And you'll even hear this in this passage of Scripture, the kind of heart that God has. So I picked Matthew 7, and we're going to read this together today. I'm loving that I'm seeing some Bibles already open up to the Word of God, or people are pulling up their phones. We're going to put it on the screen as well as if you, if you don't have any one of those things to do. But I love it when you handle the Word of God in your own context, how you would be doing it day after day. And what I want you to do as I read it is I want you 
to sit in a posture of believing that Jesus is speaking to you. I actually picked a passage of scripture where Jesus is talking. And I want you to believe that if it is true that it's living and active for today, he has something for each one of us. Amen? So we're going to read it, and then we're going to play some music and allow it just to kind of soak into our, into our life. And then I'm believing that there might be some responses that God is wanting to stir you towards as he speaks to you. Matthew 7. Do not judge others. And this is in the New Living Translation. So if you're reading another translation, it'll look a little bit different. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in your judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, hey, hey let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye? When you can't see past the log in your own eye, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the the pearls, then turn and attack you. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him. Verse 12, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Verse 13, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for for the many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can't identify a tree by its fruit, just as you can, so you can identify people by their actions. Verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. 
Verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Just take a couple of minutes and allow the Lord to highlight or speak to you through what has been read. We could spend a lot more time, and I would encourage you, this is a great practice. Do this in the mornings and the evening. Read your passage of Scripture and just let God speak. If you're open, he always speaks. He spoke to me in the first service, and he spoke to me in the second. Because I'm the preacher, you get to hear my confessions of what he spoke. The first service, he talked about my log in my eye. Just thinking about my day yesterday with my family and how oftentimes I am quick to find what's not right in my wife or others. And so that was a very practical, practical conviction this morning where the Lord said, you know what? Yesterday there was ways in which you could have listened to that situation humbly and thought about what was going on in your life. So I felt like the Lord said, I want to, I want to call you to be a lumberjack start doing some log work or a logger but this morning this 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 time I was when I was reading I was struck by that last passage of scripture about building your house on building your house on um, the rock and I thought you know God my house is built on the rock and I, I, I and what I believe that to be is our life is is built on Jesus Jesus the rock and I have no doubt that my house is going to be sustained because I have a, a relationship with Jesus. You know, I know that as Romans 10 says, if we, um, if we confess, um, if you confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. And I know that when I put my trust in Jesus, my life was built on the rock. So I'm just say this as a side. You know, if you're in the room and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, that's the rock. If you're putting your trust and your hope on anything other than Jesus, that's sand. And at some point, your life is going to fall apart. If not in this life, it definitely will fall at the foot of Jesus. And that passage of scripture where it said, hey, I, I knew you. I think I knew you. I did some things for you. You don't want to be standing before Jesus and say, I don't know you. So the foundation is on the rock. But I was thinking about my own life. I've built my life on the rock, but there are additions to my house that sometimes are not on the rock. There's sometimes where I build on sand. Maybe out of insecurity, self-serving things that I do. I've been processing some things recently about God. There's some things I feel like are unstable in my life.